Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of Matthew. You may be seated. And we begin today with a word of prayer. Almighty Father, it is truly a blessing to be gathered in this place to hear your word, the word upon which your church is built. Strengthen us, Lord, in our confidence in this word and grant us your Holy Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. The Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had what we'll call today an out-of-place conversation? A conversation where it just doesn't really seem to fit the context of where you are very well. Like there you are, I don't know, for example, at the beach. It's a beautiful beach day. You're on vacation. The waves are crashing. The kids are splashing in the ocean. You have a mindless magazine and you're totally relaxed. And someone sits next to you and says, so how about the new tax reform bill? You're like, no, no, we're not talking about this right now. Or you're at like a romantic dinner, you know, like I'm out with my wife and it's an anniversary dinner and we had a glass of wine and a wonderful meal right in front of us and I take her hand and I, I look in her eyes and tell her what's really on my heart and I say, honey, I really thought the Padres would be in the playoffs this year. Isn't it horrible? Strange location for that kind of a conversation and honestly in that kind of a conversation it's awkward it's out of place and someone's leaving angry uh, we have these places where you have strange conversations they seem kind of out of context well actually that's actually what we see taking place in our reading from the gospel today with Jesus as Jesus comes and has one of the most important conversations we read in the entire Bible with his disciples but he does it in a very strange place he does it in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Caesarea Philippi here in our, in our um, sermon today throughout. So there's a few things I want you to know about why this is such a strange place for Jesus to be having this conversation. Caesarea Philippi, if, you, if you're reading your Bible and you've got a map right next to you, you will find that in Jesus' journeys throughout the Gospel of Matthew, this is the point where he is farthest away from Jerusalem. This is far, the, he may have gone further, we don't know, but in Matthew's gospel, what he's recorded, this is as far as Jesus ever goes from Jerusalem. Now, this is interesting, because Jerusalem is a pretty significant place, if you've ever read through your Bibles before. This is sort of the center of the promised land. This is where God dwells in his temple for his people to receive the sacrifices. This is where the people gather for the festivals throughout the year. This is where the kingdom is set up, where the king has his, his uh, castle and his throne and all of these sorts of things. It is the center of the Israelites' religious and political life. It is the place where God promises to be for his people to receive their sacrifices. It's the place where all the religious leaders, really, it's kind of their hub. So if anybody knows the word of God, if there's any place where people should be experts on what the scriptures say, it's Jerusalem. And as experts on the scripture, if there's any place that should recognize when the Messiah shows up, it's the people and the leaders in Jerusalem. When Jesus walks into Jerusalem, People ought to recognize him and rejoice at his arrival. But what do you find when you get to Jerusalem? It's, it's not that way at all. There's a great deal of confusion. People aren't quite sure what to do with this Jesus. In fact, there's not just confusion. There's a lot of antagonism towards Jesus in Jerusalem. There are some who are trying to plot ways to kill him 
in the very place that he should be worshipped. So there's all this confusion in Jerusalem. So it's interesting to me and kind of fascinating that as we get further and further away from Jerusalem, Jesus decides to have this conversation with his disciples about who he is and what he's come to do. Outside the context where he should be recognized, but it isn't, he's now in a place where there's probably still a great deal of confusion about him, but there it would be a little more understood. So Jesus goes to his disciples, and he asks them two questions. First, he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then, next, more pointedly, he looks at them and says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Now, to the first question, who do people say the Son of Man is, the disciples give Jesus all kinds of answers. They're like, you know, Jesus, back home in Jerusalem, there's all kinds of confusion about you. Some people, like Herod, think you're John the Baptist with his head put back on, and they're very confused about this. Those rumors are floating. There's others who think you might be the Elijah the Old Testament told us would come before the Messiah. Some people think you're another prophet, like a, like a resurrected Jeremiah. And there's all kinds of discussion about who you are. Some people are for you, and some people are against you. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment and notice something. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Because whether you are in Galilee or Jerusalem or Caesarea Philippi or North America in the 21st century, there's all kinds of confusion about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And the reality is, is that even as we get closer to the church with these kinds of questions, it doesn't seem to help matters all that much. There even seems to be confusion among churches, right? I mean, there's so many churches to choose from. The closer you get to the church, the more you realize we've got all kinds of denominations and non-denominations who all think that they're the ones who are right about this Jesus, when in fact we all know it's CLC and Escondido and San Marcos. That's the right place. Uh, But everybody seems to be confused and uncertain about who this Jesus is, and yet claiming to have the authority and to be the expert. What's more, then you have these cults that break off from the church because they believe they found some secret insight to tell us the truth. I remember a few years ago, uh, my wife got a visit at our house from some door-to-door cult members uh, telling her that she should join their church because they've discovered something new about God, that God the Father uh, is actually God the Mother. And if you truly want to know God, you need to come to God the Mother's church. Uh, My wife uh, God bless her, was very polite to them, but helped them see the light, I think. Uh, so we're transferring churches. No, uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but you see, it's everywhere. And so now you have all this confusion in this world with all these people claiming to have authority on God and faith and the church and the Bible. But then we all wonder who's right. And I think the devil loves this. I think the devil just loves stirring the pot and bringing this up to get us to question Jesus and to question our faith and to question the church. The devil loves to get us to doubt God's word. And it's really frustrating because we live in a situation, a context, which almost goes without saying, we live in a world that is dying without Jesus. It is an uncertain world that is uncertain about God and faith and Christ. And so we, as Christians, know our job. Our job is to go out and shed light in the darkness, to bring clarity where there's uncertainty, to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. And don't let any of this confuse you. You know who he is. 
He is God in flesh who has come to die for all of your sins, to forgive you by his death on the cross, and to rise again for everlasting life. And you know he's the God who gives this to you as a free gift. That is your Lord. You know it. And you and I know we have the responsibility now as those who have received such good news to spread that good news abroad, to tell the world about this. But it's hard. Because we find ourselves in a place where it is hard to have that conversation. It always just seems so awkward. It always just seems so out of place. After all, all the things we see in this world seem to be aligned against the preaching of this message. And we worry that what happens if we do tell others about Jesus? It might ruin our relationships. It might lose us our job. It might get us mocked and belittled and made fun of. There's just really no good time to bring this sort of thing up. It feels like if we want to talk about our faith and share our faith in this world, it feels like we're trying to talk about the Padres at an anniversary dinner. Weird, awkward, and someone's going to leave angry. And we just don't want to have that happen. And so we avoid the conversation. Maybe that's not true for you. Maybe you're the person who, like, every time you're out at dinner, the waiter's, like, pouring you water, and you look at the waiter, and you're like, you know, that's some good water. You know how, who has the water of life. It's Jesus. Maybe that's you. That's not me. Because it always just kind of seems out of place. But Jesus, he's got, like, no problem. Jesus has no problem bringing his gospel and his message Everywhere he goes, Jesus will go anywhere and he will just, I mean, he will talk up a storm or maybe it's talk down a storm on a boat, never mind. He will talk up himself and the good news of what he has come to do for the salvation of the world. So he comes to the disciples there in Caesarea Philippi of all places and he says to them, all right, that's who people say that I am, but what about you? Who do you say that I am. I mean, and he asks them this, of all places, how awkward and strange and out of place, in Caesarea Philippi. Now, there's something else you need to know about Caesarea Philippi, and this is something Pastor Matt was, uh, was teaching me this week. Uh, he's actually been there. He, he uh, journeyed to the Holy Land some time ago, and he got to go to Caesarea Philippi. And one of the things he saw there when he visited was uh, outside of the city a little bit, there was a big cave. And this cave was used as a place to worship the pagan god Pan. You've heard of Pan before. If you, if you haven't heard of Pan before, uh, just if you don't look him up online. I made that mistake, and that was, that was bad news. Uh, but Pan, if you've ever seen like that evil-looking goat head thing uh, that looks very demonic and evil, that's Pan. Okay? And they, in Caesarea Philippi, had a place to worship that sort of evil demonic god. And what you would do is you would go out to this cave and you would have your sacrifices there and all kinds of evil and debauchery and all kinds of stuff would take place there. But you would enter into the cave and that cave had a nickname. As you walked through the cave, you said you were entering in through the gates of Hades. Isn't that an interesting phrase? You would pass through the gates of Hades to be in the presence of this evil God. And it's right there in that town living in the shadow of the gates of Hades with demonic worship taking place outside the city, 
that Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? And what's remarkable here, this out-of-place conversation, we get the clearest and most faithful answer up to this point in Matthew's Gospel of who Jesus is. How interesting. How strange. In that place where they should um, get who Jesus is, Jerusalem, there's all kinds of confusion. But here, at literally the devil's doorstep, in Caesarea Philippi, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now look what Jesus has done. He gets Peter to confess the truth of the gospel right there in a town where the gates of Hades are found. And I mean, Peter literally is confessing on the devil's doorstep. You've got to be crazy to confess your faith in a place like that. Crazy or courageous and faithful because you're with Jesus and Jesus is with you. This is is what faith does. This is confidence in Christ who is present with us wherever we are, knowing that no matter what we do, if we confess our faith in him, he is with us, and he is faithful to abide with us. Jesus hears the confession from Peter, and this is what he says. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now that's an interesting phrase. It's just kind of fun to notice this. Peter says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Barjona means son of John, so blessed are you. You are Simon, son of John. Maybe no one else finds that interesting. I liked it. Uh, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't figure this out on your own. But my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or translated otherwise, Hades, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, no, no, hear what Jesus is saying here. He's not worried at all about the power of some pagan gods in this place, nor is he going to allow a world bound by sin and confusion to stop the preaching of his word, which will result in the building of his church. Let's say that again. Jesus will not allow a world that is bound by sin and uncertainty to stop him from sending forth the preaching of his word upon which he will build his church. See, there's two things here that Jesus knows. Jesus knows first that no matter where we are, whether we're in Caesarea Philippi or Jerusalem or Escondido, Valley Center, San Marcos, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, no matter where you are, You are in a place filled with people who are bound by the darkness of sin, who are dwelling in the kingdom of darkness. And the other thing Jesus knows is that the only thing that will set people free from that darkness is the gospel of the forgiveness of sins that he has won for them with his shed blood on the cross. The only thing that will loose people on earth as they are loosed in heaven is the proclamation that sins are forgiven on account of Christ's shed blood. He knows that the only hope we have in this world has been won for, him by, uh, won for us by him on the cross. And that people only come to that freedom and that salvation when the gospel is proclaimed. Jesus knows that it is only the word of Christ that will set sinners free. And he knows 
that no matter where we find the gates of Hades, be it in Caesarea Philippi or Jerusalem or Escondido or San Marcos or Valley Center or Las Vegas or Los Angeles, wherever you find them, they're not strong enough to overcome the preaching of the Word. They're not strong enough to overcome the Lord Jesus Christ who has conquered sin, death, and the devil. And I want you to recognize that. What sort of courage this gives to us in the church and the mission, uh, on the mission that Jesus has granted to us. I, I mean, I know, I keep hearing this. That we live in a dying world. That there's this great unchurching. That people are more and more leaving the church. And the statistics bear this out. And, and the church is dying because of our American culture. And we seem to walk around with this idea that, you know, Jesus is right. The gates of hell can't conquer the church, but the American culture sure seems to have a shot. Are you kidding me? We're not facing anything here that's stronger than the, the mighty word of God. And I think maybe pro the, the biggest problem with the church in our day is that we've bought into this lie that there's something stronger than the word of Jesus Christ. And so because we buy into this, we won't talk to our friends. We won't talk to our neighbors. We won't invite people to church. We won't ask them the question, who do you think Jesus is? Have you tried it? Not even, not even like in a rude, confrontational way. Just like, hey, I was at church on Sunday and I wondered. What do you think about Jesus? Who do you think he is? You think you could have that conversation this week? It might open up an opportunity for you to, you know, knock down the gates of hell. The word you got there is stronger than anything else anybody else is holding on to. See, according to Jesus, his word is mighty. Stronger than the gates of Hades. They can't even overcome it. That Jesus takes people like Peter who confess his name and he calls them his church. You are that church. You are the one Jesus baptized and he named you and he took your heart that was born bound to the gates of hell and he set you free. He frees you every time you come here and causes you to rejoice in your freedom when you hear again that your sins are forgiven. He paid for your sins and died and rose for you. Your sins are loosed from you on earth and in heaven. Jesus knows that the world doesn't hear that message. So it's ours to go and proclaim it. It's ours to go and share it. We, who he is building the church with. The gates of hell cannot overcome the church that confesses this Jesus. So perhaps today it is for us to repent of acting like it has. You who are bound to sin, you know people whose only hope just might be having an awkward, out-of-place conversation in a strange location about the saving, forgiving work of Jesus Christ. But have confidence in such conversations, because if the gates of hell can't conquer the church built by the Word, what do you have to be afraid of? Your sins are forgiven. You belong to Christ. And wherever you go, He is with you, so that you have nothing to fear. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty Father, give us the boldness of Peter to confess your faith, to confess our faith in strange and awkward places. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would make us bold. But Lord, just as Peter, we know that with Peter, he could not do this on his own, but needed the word of truth revealed to him by the Father in heaven. So we pray that you would reveal this to us. Grant us your Holy Spirit, confirm us in the truth, and make us bold in sharing the good news.
I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that you would give us a chance and an opportunity to proclaim your saving message to this world. In Jesus' name, amen.